Welcome to the Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach podcast. Machon Siach at SAR High School, honoring the memory of Belda K. Lindenbaum, Zinchron Alevracha, is the research arm of SAR High School, where faculty bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education, curriculum, and culture. The Grand Conversation podcast features the fellows of Machon Siach discussing their research. I'm your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at SAR High School, and co-director of Machon Siach, and I want to thank our producer, Rabbi Avi Bloom, Director of Technology at SAR High School. For today's special edition Grand Conversation podcast, we're continuing a conversation about Israel education at SAR High School and beyond. We've previously discussed this topic with Laura Shaw Frank and Adina Schulson, who developed our Israel education curriculum here at SAR High School, and also with the Honorable Robert Wexler of the S. Daniel Abraham Center for Middle East Peace, Machon Siach's partner in a joint venture to deepen high school administrators and educators' understanding of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Today's conversation is going to feature Professor Avi Helfand, Vice Dean for Faculty and Research and Professor of Law at Pepperdine University's Caruso School of Law. Avi also serves as an arbitrator and consultant for the Beth Din of America, and he's an expert on religious law and religious liberty. Several years ago, Avi accompanied our very own Rabbi Tully Hardstark, principal of SER High School and Dina Machon Siach, on a group trip for American educators, rabbis, and academics to the Palestinian territories. Following that trip, Rabbi Hartstark formed a Machon Siach research group to further their understanding of the conflict. Professor Helfand was a part of that group, and today's conversation will focus on Tully and Avi's research. We are recording this conversation just days after a ceasefire was declared in the hostilities between Hamas in Gaza and Israel. And while daily anti-Semitic attacks on Jews are taking place in America and in Europe, we are thrilled that Dr. Rivka Press Schwartz, Associate Principal of SER High School, where she teaches history and Israel education, and co-director of Machon Siach, will facilitate today's episode of The Grand Conversation. Welcome, Avi. Welcome back, Tully and Rivka. And Rivka, thank you for facilitating this important conversation. Thanks so much for having me. So for this afternoon's conversation, we thought that we would take the chance to talk a little bit about how the research and thinking that we've done about teaching about religious Zionism to modern Orthodox kids relates to the events that we just lived through and we just saw. Does that in any way make us think that there are things that we're doing right, wrong, need to be doing differently? Is there, or is that perhaps the wrong approach to take? Our education should be a longer-term arc. It shouldn't be responsive to or shaped by current events. And we should keep doing what we're doing, whatever it is, is go, that's going on, either over the skies in Israel or in the streets of New York City. I think it's impossible for us to think that um, we should just keep on doing what we're doing irrespective of what's going on either in America um, or uh, when there are hostilities or violence in Israel. I mean, obviously... Um, any Jew with a heart and a soul um, is deeply impacted uh, when we see um, pain, violence, um, our brothers and our sisters in harm's way, um, whether in Israel or in the United States. And so I, I can say personally, I'm not a Jewish educator, but everything I do as a result, I think um, those kinds of events deeply impacts me. The question is what to do with that information, you know, what to do when we're emotionally moved in these ways. Um, with respect to um, either uh, international or domestic events. Now, how do we use that? How do we incorporate that? 
um, into the way we educate. I mean, certainly the people we're educating feel these things. Um, so kind of to, to have one method and, and kind of build a model and then uh, let it go, um, I think is impossible. Um, the question to me is, how do we incorporate these? How do they help us formulate or think about our values and then um, use that in, to, in order to have a conversation that's meaningful, both for the educators and the educated? Um, I would uh, echo a lot of what Avi said. I, I would dif distinguish between the short term and the long term. I think that in the moment, uh, we have to stop. We certainly can't continue as usual when these kinds of events are happening to our brothers and sisters in Israel. I think that when we're stopping in, in the moment, we are uh, thinking about um, uh, our our concern for um, the loss of civilian life of, uh, of any form, and we are concerned for the defense protection of uh, our brothers and sisters in the state of Israel. Um, it does raise questions, I think, in the uh, it, it has to force us to think carefully about uh, the curriculum that we are teaching. I think the curriculum development in general is, uh, you know, it's different than uh, politics. We're reacting in the day-to-day. We're thinking about education of kids, um, and that's a longer-term enterprise. So I think that um, when when these kinds of things happen, uh, it it has to cause us to think, rethink, to think more carefully. Uh, but I think that there's a difference between what we do immediately and how it informs how we think about it um, uh, in the longer term and in a curricular level. Yeah, that's, I think, what I want to sit with a little more. And I want to elaborate more on what I think the question is. As somebody who was in the classroom right then teaching an Israel education curriculum unit in our 10th grade history class when that happened, we try to teach with nuance and complexity. We try to have our students understand that there are different narratives and different people and different claims. And even if we as a Zionist modern Orthodox Jewish school are deeply identified with the Jewish people and the Jewish narrative and the Jewish claim, we can understand that there are other people there with other perspectives and other stories. And on Monday, on Yom Yerushalayim, we started off the day talking to our students about the legal process that was going on in Sheikh Jarrah and how Israeli Jews view that and how the Palestinian Arabs who claim those homes might view that differently and what the different narratives and experiences were. And by that night, when the missiles were flying, it felt to us off and tone deaf to be talking about, well, the Israeli narratives, well, the Palestinians' narratives, for exactly the reason you just said, which is in that moment, the thing that we feel called upon to do is to think about the Jewish people and their pain and suffering. But I actually think it's a very profound educational question about how we handle that overall model, which we then, we then put on hold in the difficult moments or we draw on something else. I know that both of you went on this encounter trip, which was meant to put front and center those other perspectives, those other voices. Maybe I'm curious in asking specifically, with that orientation, with that perspective somewhere in your head, did that shape differently how you thought about or reacted to what you were seeing and watching over the past couple of weeks? Um, I, I feel like uh, you know the, the experience on Encounter actually opened uh, a whole world of um, you know, Eno Domesh and seeing certain things firsthand and hearing voices that I had not heard before had a profound impact and frankly raised more questions than, you know, pr provide answers to, to anything. But I have found, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, that um, kind of in the aftermath of that 
experience, took a while to, to, di to digest it and take it in, I found myself uh, thinking in terms of three different categories. You mentioned two of them. One is the idea of uh, uh, feeling that connection with this, you know, our, our beloved Medina on every level. And that's an educational charge that we have to try to share that, communicate that, have our students uh, feel that very strongly. And the encounter experience offered the opportunity to hear a different set of stories and narratives. Um, and that was really important. But afterwards, something happened that was uh, kind of in between for me. Um, I often think about um, my, my dear friend of mine, David Landy, Zichonel of Racha, that uh, at some point mentioned that um, our most uh, profound kind of ethical challenge in the world, and this is not necessarily as just a critique, but just what it is, is establishing a state, um, you know, understanding what it means to be a sovereign and all the levels um, that, that go with that. And I found myself feeling like uh, it's not only a question of our story and others' stories, but actually that all of that is our own story. Meaning, how do we think about you know civic citizenship in the country? Um, uh, how to manage all the the challenges of running a country? Uh, not only as an us versus them, but just an us. Like, how do we think about it? And so I found myself thinking in terms of all three of those challenges. One is de developing a love uh, and a connection and an identity and seeing it as part of what it is to be a Jew, to connect to Medina Israel. Uh, also to understand other perspectives, but also for us to be able to kind of internally understand the different sides and voices within um, the Jewish community about how to use power and think about sovereignty and bringing all of that to our kids. Um, that's a big challenge, but it was helpful to have that frame. There's a clip of Rav Soloveitchik, a speech that he gave decades ago that's been going around, that's been circulating recently, in which he talks exactly about that, about the establishment of Medina Israel of a Jewish state as being the challenge for the Jewish people about what they will do when they have sovereignty and when they are in control. So Avi, I want to throw a question at you that maybe gets you more into your wheelhouse instead of talking about um, Jewish education, since Tilly has turned us a little bit to talking about these questions about how Jews in political power exercise their power. You professionally write and think a lot about the accommodation of minority religious populations within American society and within American law. Um, so did Encounter, aside from the experience being, you know, just seeing and picking up people's stories and maybe getting a first hand, did it make you think in any way about what the parallels or the differences might be, parallels you'd like to see, differences you'd like to articulate in how a Jewish state deals with minority populations under its control? I'd say my knee-jerk reaction is often to see the world in terms of um, majority and minority. Um, it's just how I'm trained, um, certainly from a legal perspective and kind of the work that I do. I would say, I, you know, part of me very much in going on Encounter was trying to resist that impulse, certainly initially. Um, and, you know, when I think to myself, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish when I work through these issues or talk about these issues? Um, it's hard for me to talk about Israel. And the reason it's hard for me to talk about Israel is, you know, beyond the political polarization. I mean, that everyone has a challenge with. But, you know, number one, 
I live here and not there. So my talk feels like incredibly cheap on a certain level. And number two, I'm not an expert. I'm used to talking about issues where I'm an expert. And so it's very comfortable for me. Uh, somebody challenges me, I, you know, I, I, have, uh, I have stuff to say um, because I've researched a question and I can, I can point to things. You know, talking about Israel is hard for me because I'm not an expert. I know, like, I would say embarrassingly little. And I would say as a result, you know, going on encounter um, was a way for me, you know, in part, not to fall into kind of my knee jerk reactions to how I, I sometimes see the world or how I sometimes see America and then superimposing that on Israel. Um, I don't know if you all saw Mati um, Friedman's article in The Atlantic this week talking about how, you know, so frequently Americans, what they do is they superimpose American categories on Israel. But, you know, to me, step one was... Um, trying to figure out what I don't know, how I don't know it, um, and kind of like a, a method or a process um, as a result of hearing and learning new things um, that I hadn't encountered before. I guess that's why they call the organization that. Um, you know, then the question was what to do. And I'm grateful to Tully who like put together this reading group in a way and, and a research group in order to kind of figure out what does it mean um, to sit with this lack of knowledge. At least that's how I felt about it and develop a process to deal with it. You know, so that's step one in many ways to kind of try to figure out what it is I don't know and how deeply I don't know it. Um, and then kind of moving from that um, to think about, you know, ethical and moral commitments that I have as an American, you know, that I can do. Um, and so, you know, for me, I would say the, the big next step, um, certainly in terms of how I like to think about it and in my interactions and maybe even in my teaching with others, um, to think a little bit about how we could use categories that we're familiar with as Americans um, to probe our ethical commitments. So like, to me, I, I enjoyed thinking about these questions through the prism of religious liberty, cases that Jews have brought in the United States, um, to think about the scope of our rights, why it is we're concerned about certain kinds of minority rights in America, um, and use those kind of, I would say, instincts about concrete dilemmas American Jews have faced um, in order to construct a series of values and principles that, you know, when we really unpack things, um, we realize, and it's different for everyone, obviously, but each person realizes this is what they're committed to. And then kind of the big, big question is, how do American Jews go about translating their commitments here in the United States around questions of religious liberty or around other kinds of questions? You know, you know, I do law, but other people, you know, you can do history. I mean, Rifka, that's your favorite. Um, there are a variety of ways in which, um, you know, you can engage in this. But trying to find a discipline I'm familiar with and then figure out to what extent do our ethical and moral commitments translate in the way in which we look at this, um, look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict um, over in Israel? And by the way, the answer might be they don't translate. They don't translate for the very reasons that I started out with, because we're not there. That's not our cultural background. There's too much history there, multiple narratives. There could be millions of reasons. Uh, America, for example, is a it's not, not doesn't have a, a religion. You know, we're a, a in principle, a secular country. We're a secular country that allows uh, religious pluralism. Uh, Israel is not. Um, and so there might be a variety of reasons that our, um, our values, 
and principles don't translate. But to me, the thought was coming off of encounter, thinking through deeply what are our values and trying to figure out the question of translation. To what extent do uh, what we know, what we hold dear in terms of our moral compass, um, how can we translate those to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and what can pedagogy look like if oriented around that method? I want to pick up for a moment on what Avi was uh, talking about in terms of expertise, because I think that um, that uh, certainly informed my thinking about the encounter experience as well. It, uh, um, it, it, I, I do not, you know, the, the world of politics is not the, my area of expertise, and I did find myself um, consistently through that trip thinking about what role do I as an educator have to play um, and why is this experience, what way is this experience useful? And uh, slowly it uh, kind of, I kind of found myself coming to the realization that education is, uh, that, that's a wheelhouse. That is an area of expertise. And regardless of whether, um, you know, we, we as educators don't have the capacity to and shouldn't be informing the decision making in the political realm, but it also, became increasingly clear that politics alone should not shape what it is that we're educating, that that's a, an area of its own, and that generated within me a sense of responsibility to think about the educational side. How does all of this inform what we are teaching? And uh, in a, on a certain level, that was a, a major takeaway for me from the experience, that um, we need as educators to think in more comprehensive and a deeper kind of uh, way and to be able to learn together with each other so that we could think about what it is that that uh, that we're we're teaching in a in a full and more robust kind of way so i guess I'm, you know want to want to note that if avi has uh, it sounds like uh, you know think thinking about it in terms of his area of expertise i feel that that's our job too. We have to think about it in terms of our own area of expertise, and both of those are different. Then, um, uh, and you know, we, we can lobby and be involved in a whole you know set of different ways, uh, but making an impact um, through our respective areas, I think, is important. When I spoke to my students about this, which I did a whole lot over the last couple of weeks, I kept making the distinction between the two separate buckets, which is what's happening in Israel and how it's being responded to in America in the broader media, on social media, in the American Jewish community, because those are two somewhat separate conversations. And I want to raise something that I shared with my class that they found very interesting, uh, something that Alex Zeldin, who is a Russian-born um, American Jew, observant but doesn't identify as Orthodox, writes a column for the forward, tweets as at Jewish Wonk, said about this, and I thought was really striking and really interesting. He said, the people he spends Shabbos meals with on the Upper West Side have been raised on a certain kind of modern Orthodox community narrative of Zionism, which makes it harder for them to have a more complex understanding of Israel as a state. They, they've been raised on a kind of one-dimensional heroic narrative, and then to engage with the full complexity of what Israel is as a state with all of its parts is harder for them. He said as a Jew from a former Soviet background, he had dealt with much of that complexity because, of course, members of his family going to Israel finding their Jewish status questioned. We've all heard about the experiences of, of 
people of Russian background who fell fighting for Tzahal, and then the question was, could they be buried in an Israeli military cemetery? And that deep sense of rejection by the very society that you're fighting for, while other people would say, well, that's a very clear halachic issue. If they're not Jewish, they can't be buried in it. And he said all of that gave him a very deep awareness from a young age of the complexities of this society, that it wasn't just it's all good or it's all bad, but it could both be a refuge for people from the former Soviet Union and then also feel inhospitable to them. And I'm not talking here about Arabs or Palestinians. I'm talking about people of Jewish background from Soviet Union who moved to Israel. And he said he felt like that equipped him better to engage in conversation than, again, the kind of flag-waving, blue-and-white cookie-eating, celebratory Zionism that he felt that many of the people that he spent Shabbos meals with on the Upper East Side had imbibed from their educations from summer camp. This is the question that we deal with all the time as educators, but it's a broader question for our community. How do you educate both towards a real awareness of a real place, Israel's not Disneyland, and also to deep emotional commitment, engagement, how do you do that at the same time? And so I, I pose to you both the, the Jewish wonk, the Alex Eldin question, is he actually better off in engaging with these things from having had from a young age some sense of the range and complexity here and not just the blue and white cookies? I think that that kind of uh, question informed what it is that I ended up trying to explore in the, in the paper that I uh, wrote because... Um, Referring back to something, I think that there's a real importance to flag waving and blue and white cookie eating, and I wouldn't want to. Uh, I think the chagi goat are extremely powerful, and they have to continue. It's not an either or. It's a. It's you know. It's an also. It's an and. Um, and you mentioned earlier that feeling of what, what's the role of an American Jew? Somebody's living outside of Israel, and sometimes feeling that we uh, our our talk is cheap, and I uh, identify with that sentiment. I think that there is um, a limit to how much we we can say or feeling like, um, you know, what, what do we really know? However, I think that that's also informed the way that we teach about Israel, because I feel like we teach as outsiders. Um, and, and it's easily explainable, as just said, we are outside in a lot of ways. History actually allows people to look at things from afar. And so our his history-oriented curriculum uh, actually suits us well as Americans outside of Israel and looking at what was happening inside. Uh, and we can acknowledge the reality of that circumstance. But I think that there is value to thinking about from a peoplehood perspective, that we are all insiders to the conversation. And uh, when I think of myself as an American picking up a newspaper and reading about an issue that I might have to vote on, it's important to understand the various sides of an issue and the different communities are impacted and make a decision that's informed. I think that there's an enormous amount of room to think about uh, the citizenship issues in Israel in general and as they inform um, the is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the majority-minority populations, as you mentioned, in in Israel. So, uh, the idea of generating an internal conversation, talking about what it means to be a citizen in Israel, um, uh, allows for that uh, kind of insider approach, um, and something I think that we should consider in our curriculum. Um, like like a good law professor, I want to resist the premise of the question. Um, Go right ahead. Yeah, I think that's my job here. Um, 
I don't know, your job could be to answer the questions or it could yeah. be to resist the premises. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I was actually going to stop Rifka just by saying I resist the premise of the question, period, and then <laughs> kind of move on. That would have been fun. But um, I think there, you know, when you see conversations around this, it's like there's the simple view of Israel and then there's the complex and nuanced view of Israel. I'm starting to have an allergy to the words complex and nuanced. I'm, I'm, I feel like they're just like uh, they, they paper over stuff. Um, to me, I, I think that I don't think any particular discipline provides an answer to the question. Like if you delve deeply into a particular discipline and try to figure out how to mine that discipline to learn more about Israel, like if you did it really well, you'd come out with one view. And if you do it poorly, you come out with another view. And a little bit, I feel like that's the sneaky assumption behind some of this. Like um, the complex view tells you that, you know, you know, flag waving is terrible or something like that. Not, not exactly, but pretty close to it. Um, I, I think the most important thing, I, I think we just need to, to learn and read and study a lot. Like we're all education, Israel education is often, especially in the United States, is, is often um, limited in part because school days are limited and curriculum or uh, curricular are limited. I mean, we can't learn everything, but I don't know. I came out of high school feeling like what I knew about was like a tiny little bit of 1948, a lot of 1967, maybe some 73. Nothing happened in Israel between like 1973 and I think the early 90s. I think that was just that didn't exist. And then you kind of move to wherever they want you're Eurovision. Uh, yes. No, that definitely happened. <laughs> I, I'm going to do something I never, you know, I'm nervous about this conversation. Like there's some things going to say that I probably going to say. I don't hate that song. I really don't. <laughs> so there it is. I said it. Okay, leaving that aside, I, I think we need to read and study and learn more. And I don't know what conclude. I don't think you come necessarily out with one conclusion or another um, when you absorb more information around Israel or around the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. If deep study led you only to one conclusion, I, you know, I think then the world would be somewhere. Um, so I don't think that's right, and I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's like the unnuanced version is the is the problem or the complex one raises questions. I think it's more um, we need to provide find ways to provide a robust understanding of Israel, its history and its politics, and then use that leverage that in order to explain, you know, contemporary events. I mean, I I, I don't know. How, I wonder how Tilly felt about this, but um you know, watching what was going on in Israel um, over the past couple of weeks. And to me, I was particularly startled, I would say frightened, by I think as many were, by the street fighting, what was going on in the streets of certain cities. You know, the rockets, and this is a crazy, insane thing to say, but I think it's true. The rockets are devastating, horrifying, loss of life, just travesty, you know, across the board. Um, but I'm familiar with it. Like my head can kind of wrap itself around that kind of pain and suffering, unfortunately. Um, the street fighting, th that was not something that I was familiar with in a, in a personal way. Obviously, I'm not there, but like to see video and all of this other stuff. I mean, that, that was, um, I would describe it as traumatizing. But I would say that kind of, you know, research and reading and, trying to understand more, I would say, because of the encounter trip and on the heels of the encounter trip, you know, you start to see where this kind of activity fits in the broader arc of Israeli history. 
Um, it's certainly, I mean, I my reaction was this feels a little bit like what I've read about happened in 1948. And then I opened up the Wall Street Journal this week and there was Benny Morris saying, you know, this, this is a reminder of 1948. And so... Now, what do we do with that information? I don't think it tells us like flag waving is a problem. You know what I'm saying? That's unrelated to flag waving is a problem. But I felt like maybe for the first time in a while, a little bit educated, like I could piece together the way in which Israel's history and politics um, had certain kinds of themes and arcs. And then it forced me to ask questions about principles and values. Like if we could find a way to get to get students to the point where they had sufficient information to work through how they thought about the world and then apply, you know, or I should say more narrowly and initially about the United States and then think about what that might mean for Israel as well, about what their moral and ethical commitments were um, based on deep understanding where they weren't blindsided by events. Um, I think we'd be doing a really good job and they might just come out with flag waving, by the way. And that would that might be great, um, but it's not like um, deep understanding of things is contrary to flag waving. I, I think that's what I want to resist, and I want to resist strongly, um, because I think when we put the kind of pedagogy in those categories, I'm not saying the question necessarily does, but it gets it gets pretty close. Um, when we put things in categories, what it signals to people is. Uh, if you engage in deep reading and study on this topic, you are anti-flag waving. That can't be a thing because who's going <laughs> to, how are we going to get people to engage in deep study? Um, it's not going to be possible. Um, and so I guess in that way, I'm trying to resist the question or the premise. Also makes me, I, I wonder, and you're mentioning 1948 and 1960, so those kind of dates, which of course align with, uh, you know, I think it speaks to the way that too often we teach, specifically in terms of the the, the, the wars. Um, I one of my takeaways from the encounter experience is that I it made me ask how much we are teaching when we teach Israel, and it's you know in, in terms of history, how much we're teaching nineteen ninety, you know, from the past twenty five years, um, and. I have wondered whether that binary that Avi was just speaking against, that it's not about flag waving versus complexity, it's got a, that, that, that's not the way to think about that. And your conclusions can land wherever they might from a deep learning um, to, to really place an emphasis on uh, deeper understanding for our kids of the past uh, 25 years. And sometimes it, uh, uh, I, I'm not I say this in part as a question because I'm not sure of what happens in schools across the country, but it does seem to me that uh, a kind of thoughtfully thinking about the issues that have come up in these years uh, demands our attention more than we're giving it. Avi, I don't, I don't disagree at all with your, um, you know, insistence that we remember that deep study does not end you up in one place, and that people who engage in deep study of the history and the literature and the politics and the law and the everything else do not all end up then in some little narrow band of consensus where they could happily figure things out if only everybody else did all the nuance exactly the way they were doing the nuance. Um, and Tully said very clearly in response to that question that we also very much value the, the emotional in the Kishka support of Israel that comes from flag waving, blue and white cookies, chagigas and everything else. 
I think to some extent there is a concern in our broader modern Orthodox community. I'm not just talking about the particular school that Tully and I are sitting in, but in the broader modern Orthodox community, that if we open ourselves up to certain kinds of conversations or exploration or engagement, the result will be that our kids will lose that intense emotional Zionist attachment and that we therefore have to avoid that as a threat. Um, and I think I was trying to ask about that, about that sense, which I think is exists. You can tell me if you think that my read on things is wrong and that sense is not out there. And if indeed that sense is out there and people feel like that broad study, which might, I mean, to pick Benny Morris as an example of the ways in which broad study doesn't land predictably, Benny Morris is an historian who both says, yes, there was ethnic cleansing in the origins of the refugee crisis between 47 and 49, and yes, that was justified because it was the only way to create a Jewish state. Deep study does not mean that you land up in one place, um, but I could imagine plenty of people in our community where even if I was teaching the Benny Morris position, would be very, very, very deeply uncomfortable with opening up that kind of conversation, analysis, exploration in our community. And, uh, and I think that, that kind of set of questions, not the assumption that nuance always gets us to the same place, was what I was interested in getting at some discussion of. I, I'd like to uh, address that by giving a plug for what the Machon Siach enterprise is supposed to be about, meaning... Um, I do understand that concern. I think there's what to, 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 to worry about in terms of the impact that, that could have on, on kids. But I think that uh, as educators, sometimes we think in order to feel like the work that we're doing is impactful, we think very quickly we go to curriculum development and what's happening in a classroom. We have not invested enough in giving teachers, educators the opportunity to sit down together and learn and explore. And I do have strong... Uh, believe strong faith, actually, that when thoughtful educators learn together, they consider all of the elements that have been raised here, um, the celebrating and the love and, and all of that positive identity, and also understanding the, uh, the tough issues, and then figure out how can we do the best job of bringing all of that to the table. Uh, so without saying... I, I, to me, uh, my response to that would be yes is what to be concerned about. And yes, if you get a bunch of educators and invest in their spending time on this and, and learning and then carefully uh, figuring out what to present and how, I think that uh, moves the needle in, in a healthy kind of way. Um, and I think it could really make a difference. We'll take Tully's um, statements in support of the value proposition of Machon Siach as his last word on the matter since the hour grows late. Avi, uh, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share on this topic or on the topic of Machon Siach, if you'd like? Um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, this time I won't resist the premise of the question. I'll just respond to it. Um, <laughs> so I, I would say few things sit in me as um, as deeply as the instinct that we must absolutely crush the impulse um, to fear study. I just, um, I can think of few more deeper commitments than I have just as a person. So the idea that deeper study in a particular area will generate bad outcomes, I think is a terrible impulse. I think it's corrosive and toxic um, and should be discarded as quickly as possible. 
And it's not something that just exists in Israel study. I mean, this is um, fear of inquiry is something that um, has plagues a wide range of topics within the Jewish community, within America, within the world. Um, that if we look too closely, who knows what will happen to our priors? What a, what a terrible place to start from, um, I would say. And, you know, some evidence, I mean, you know, you can see it in part in the way in which the question's built. Um, there's a fear that if we engage in this study, it is likely to lead up, you know, our, uh, our, our children, our community to less commitment towards Israel. I mean, that's the kind of question, that's an empirical question, right? That's what that is. People, it, I think, by and large, come to that conclusion without without data justifying it. Like, why do we come to conclusions without the information we would need to reach that conclusion? That doesn't strike me as reasoned argument. That strikes me as fear. Um, and fear leads to bad places when it comes to academic inquiry. Very bad places. And I submit, I think it would lead to bad places when it comes to Israel study, study, just being. Um, we have to we have to teach our, our our kids a commitment. We have to teach our community a commitment to inquiry all the way down um, as best we can um, on all topics and learn what it means in an environment where it is increasingly hard to access accurate um, and fair information um, to do better. And I I don't think Israel study in this way is unique at all. It's not remotely unique. It's a it's a more systemic problem that is just manifesting in this area. And I would say every single member of every community um, should work as hard as they can to resist that impulse um, and find ways to learn more. And so we go from Tully's uh, endorsement of Machon um, to Avi's very strong endorsement of the grand conversation between Torah and the world. And that's as good a place as any as I think, to kick it back to Shmuel Hain, who will close us out. Thank you, Avi, Tilly, and Rivka, for a really interesting and important conversation. We remind everyone to check out this podcast alongside the current edition of Inside the Conversation, where you will find Tilly's paper discussing Israel education through a civics framework. Please check it out at our website, and we look forward to the next Grand Conversation. Conversation.